0: What up? Welcome in. What's up everyone? Welcome in to episode 35 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. It's terrific to have you in on a Saturday night. We've had one NFL game already, the Super Bowl, reigning Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles versus the Falcons on Thursday night. And we've got the rest of week one to follow on Sunday and Monday night is going to be a terrific week. Football is back. College football is in week two. It's in, the, in its infancy right now. And I am looking forward to another great football season. I love football season, and I know all of you guys do too. But instead of starting with football, I want to start with something that happened just recently today. Uh, the U.S. Open is currently going on in tennis. Well, it's a currently about it's about to finish as of tomorrow it will finish. But today was the women's final between Serena Williams and Japanese phenom Naomi Osaka, 20 years old and Serena I believe is 36. And this match was very controversial. Uh Naomi, Naomi Osaka won the match in straight sets. She won the first set, 6-2. No controversy, no drama at all. Second set, however, Serena Williams received three code violations, which were very, very controversial. And I'm going to explain what happened. First code violation, it was thought to be believed by the Chair umpire that Serena Williams was receiving coaching from her coach's box. And in tennis, you're not allowed to receive coaching during the match from the stands. I don't know why. That doesn't make much sense to me because every sport, maybe other than golf, well, even in golf has coaching because your caddies can kind of help you out and tell you what they think you should do. Every sport, coaching is pivotal. To success. And tennis is very much an individual sport. It's very much what it's up to you. What you can do on the court. But sometimes you need that guidance. To be able to figure out what you should try to do. So I don't see why coaching is a problem. In tennis. But she received a code violation. From. Getting coaching. From her coach. In the box. That was one. Then Serena. And that results in a warning. You just get a warning for your first first code violation. Then, later in the second set, Serena played a a poor service game, got her 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 serve was broken, and she smashed her racket on the ground in frustration and received her second code violation. And when you receive your second code violation, that results in a lost point. So basically, in the next game. Naomi Osaka would be up fifteen love from the outset, regardless of of anything. so next game starts, it hasn't even started yet, and Naomi's already up fifteen love, and I also don't agree with that code violation either, because I think players should be allowed to express their frustration as long as it's not being disruptive and you're not being violent towards anybody you're just you're just throwing your racket on the ground in frustration and so I didn't really like that call. A point was taken away from her in the next game, a game for her to try and break back. And I just thought I just thought that was unfair. And then later on, this would have been right after this game, during a changeover, they went to their chairs for a break. They do they do changeovers every 3 games, I believe. And Serena kept jawing back and forth with the chair umpire. She was very frustrated. She wasn't being malicious or. She was very frustrated, obviously, but she wasn't, like, attacking the chair umpire in any way. And she called the chair umpire a thief for stealing a point from her. And there's nothing. There's nothing malicious or evil about that. And so she received her third code violation before the next game had started, and your third code violation results in an automatic loss of a game. So Naomi Osaka didn't even have to try to 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 uh, consolidate the break that she had gotten. She did not have to try to hold her serve. And it was just handed to her. And at that point Serena was livid first the idea of the umpire thinking she was cheating really got to her she's a 23 24 time champion and she even said that she would rather lose than cheat to win and I 100 percent believe her so she was she had a really tough time to, with that And she had a tough time with the point being taken away with her. And then obviously losing a game without even doing anything. You know, it seemed very... uh, Just very odd. Like, who would... I don't understand why they would do that in such a huge match. If it was just a regular match. You know, in in just a a regular match on the ATP Tour. Okay, fine. But on on the Grand Slam stage in a Grand Slam final, I'm sorry, you just can't do that. And Serena's argument was that what she did was not even close to the severity of what some male tennis players do to chair umpires in their matches. And I 100% agree with her because if any of you listening are old enough to remember that... You know, John McEnroe back in the 80s was literally throwing objects where just he was just throwing stuff everywhere. He was very violent, not towards people. He wasn't hitting people or anything, but he was very gruff with the chair umpires and used a lot of language and was throwing rackets and other objects everywhere. That guy was, and no disrespect to John McEnroe, he's an all-time great, and he's amazing at what he does in the commentary booth, but he was very much a sore sport in tennis. Very much so. And if any of you can remember that, you would agree with me. And what Serena did, if you watched the match today, nothing even close to that and she was almost in tears she was in tears and at that point the the battle had been lost for her she didn't lose the battle the battle was it was just taken from her and it's a very it's just a very odd situation for a grand slam final and not to take anything away from what Naomi Osaka did in the match she played tremendous in the first set and played great in the second early in the second set she was broken early by Serena and then got the break back immediately and not to take anything away from her but you just it's it's not to say she's not a champion but to win in the way she did it kind of seemed like there should be a do-over, if you know what I mean. Obviously, she deserved I think she deserved to win that match by the way she played in the first set and early in the second. She deserved to win. But Serena also deserved a fair chance, and she did not get that. And I feel very bad for Serena, and I think the, the rules in tennis need to change very quickly. And I also felt I also felt bad for Naomi Osaka at the end because of the trophy presentation. The fans were booing through the pretty much the whole thing, and Naomi Osaka actually broke down in tears because she felt like she wasn't worthy enough to be champion, and she obviously deserved to be champion today. She played great it was just a very unfortunate situation, and the fans did not need to make her feel. That way, I understand the fans' frustration, but there was no need for that. Naomi Osaka is a is an excellent young tennis player, the first Japanese tennis player, male or female, to win a Grand Slam final. I think even to be in a Grand Slam final, so that's incredible for for Japanese tennis. And it was just an unfortunate ending to that match. And I really hope that those two get a do-over in a Grand Slam final sometime next year because those two would put on a great show. But I do want to make a bold prediction for, uh, for the beginning of the next calendar year in tennis. I believe Serena at age, I don't know when her birthday is, but she'll either be 36 or turn 37 at some point. She will win. All four grand slams next year. I think this is going to light a huge fire under her. And she's going to. Just mow down everyone. In her path. She is not going to let a player. An umpire. Or any official. Or the fans. Rooting against her get in her way. And she's going to win all four Grand Slams next year. That is my bold prediction. Now as far as the men's side, tomorrow at 4 p.m., Juan Martin Del Potro will take on Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic is on a huge tear right now since, since returning from injury. Won Wimbledon, won the Cincinnati Open, which is... Uh, one of the biggest non major tournaments in tennis. And he is playing extremely well in the U.S. Open. Juan Martín del Potro was up two sets on Rafael Nadal before Nadal retired with injury. And retire in tennis means basically you pull out of the match. It doesn't mean you actually, you know, end your career. It just means you're out of that match. You just pull out. So Nadal retired. Juan Martin Del Pocho dominated the match uh, through both sets. And it seemed Nadal Nadal's movement was suffering in the second set. But Del Pocho was just playing excellent. He's played an excellent tournament in its entirety. As far as a prediction goes, I think Juan Martin Del Pocho is a better hard court player than Djokovic. Djokovic is on a huge tear right now, but I do think this is going to be the toughest match for Djokovic yet. I think Del Potro is long overdue for another Grand Slam. I'm going to give this one to Juan Martin Del Potro in five sets. I think this will be a five-setter, very close, but I'm going to give it to Del Potro. Wouldn't be surprised if Djokovic won, but I'm going to give it to Del Potro. And that'll be a great match tomorrow. Probably won't watch it because football is going to be on. But I might tune in every now and then. And some more controversy over the week. Nike released their ad, a new ad, with Colin Kaepernick at the forefront. Now this was very controversial for obvious reasons. Colin Kaepernick started the kneeling movement in the NFL, and a lot of fans—well, not necessarily fans, but a lot of people who own Nike merchandise—haven't taken so kindly to this to this marketing ploy by Nike. Uh, as far as far as my my view on this. I think this was a great marketing move by Nike. And the reason I say that is because any publicity is good publicity for them. Any publicity is good publicity. And people who are fans of Nike, who who do like Nike, they have resorted to burning and shredding all of their Nike merchandise. People have cut the tops off of their socks. And I'm sure people have burned some of their Nike apparel. And I'm just going to say one thing right now. Nike does not care. And you know why? Because you already bought their merchandise. You already bought it. It doesn't matter if you burn it or not. They don't care. You already bought it. You already bought it, so if you're one of those people out there who do not like Nike for this for this marketing ploy, it really doesn't matter if you if you want to burn your Nike stuff, go ahead number one, you're wasting money, and number two, Nike doesn't care because you already bought it. The only way this is going to affect Nike negatively is if people boycott Nike altogether and people don't buy Nike anymore and that's not going to be the case. Nike is a global brand. They are a worldwide brand, they're one of the biggest brands. You could argue they're up there with Apple as one of the biggest brands globally. This was a great marketing move by by Nike. Having Colin Kaepernick up there, being controversial, it brings them Attention. To get attention, sometimes you have to make things uncomfortable. It's exactly like what I said with the kneeling movement in the NFL. In order for it to be a protest, in order for it to get attention, it has to be uncomfortable, and kneeling during the national anthem is the most uncomfortable ploy possible for this kind of movement. And as far as the commercial goes, I think it was a great commercial also. It was very inspiring. It showed a a, a young youth wrestler with no legs. And if that doesn't inspire you to want to go out and 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 do what you love, I don't know what does. And there's there's also a piece in there with uh Shaquille uh Shaquille Griffin, the linebacker drafted by the seahawks with one arm or his one hand the other one was amputated off as a young child there's a piece in here with with him and that should be very inspiring too and there's another piece with a a uh, soccer player i don't know what country he's in but he's from but he was born a refugee and ended up playing for his for the men's national soccer team at age 16. Like the. This. Advertisement by Nike. Was extremely powerful. And extremely moving. And it it highlights. The fact that you should. Aim high. For your dreams. You should have. They said. They said something in regards. To how crazy your dream can be. It's like, don't ask if your dreams are crazy. Ask if your dreams are crazy enough. And I think that's very moving, especially for me. Now, I don't want to make this about me, but I'm just going to share my my personal uh, belief on this a little bit. I want to be a sports radio show host at some point in the future. Some point in my career, and a lot of people, not necessarily a lot of people, but a few people have thought i don't know if that's the right career choice for you and they People have told me that I think you'd be much better going to law school you'd be a great lawyer because you're a great writer and and things like that, but I do like law, but sports is my passion and when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a professional athlete like all kids who were in the sports wanted to be. I wanted to be a professional athlete. And when I realized like how tall of a task that is and that it was virtually... Well, okay, I wouldn't say it's impossible because there's Shaquem Griffin doing it and, and other guys. But that that's a very tough goal and i know if i if i put in the work at a very young age i'm sure i could have done it but it wasn't something that i was sh- i was sure if i could achieve or not and the only other way i thought i could stay involved with sports was through doing this this podcast and watching these shows on espn and fox where they debate sports and it just became something that i was really interested in and so i really want to pursue a career in in sports talk radio i want that's something i want to do and there was something Colin cowherd said on the herd when he first joined fox sports he he talked about why he joined fox why he took his uh the next step in his career in in, in going to fox he said i don't know Word for word, but he said, go out on a limb because that's where all the fruit is. So that's what I'm doing. I'm going out on a limb. And I'm going to see if I can reach the fruit. And if I fall flat, so be it. Because I I want to chase my dreams. So that's what I want to relay To my listeners, go out on a limb. Pursue what makes you happy. Pursue your passion. And don't let people tell you what you can and can't do. That was the whole point of that Nike ad. Was to inspire you to chase your dreams. And I don't want people to lose sight of that because... A controversial man was at the forefront of it. All right, I want to shift gears. We're finally going to get to some NFL. So, the first game of the season was Thursday night. The Atlanta Falcons at the Philadelphia Eagles, the reigning Super Bowl champs. And the game was a very, it was very flat, very boring. And I went to bed halfway through the third quarter. But the game ended up being 18-12 to 12 in favor of the Eagles. The Eagles are 1-0, and, and I am now 0-1 in my record predictions. Well, I guess, like week-by-week week predictions, but you know what I mean. Um, but I think the Falcons they gave this one away. They had several opportunities to put to to close the door on the Eagles. They they could have blown this game wide open. And I mean wide open. They had so many red zone opportunities and like last year they could not capitalize. I believe the stat is between Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Matt Ryan is I think 1 for 20. Over the past two seasons, so this game and then all of last season, in red zone targets. He is 1 for 20 in the red zone. That is awful. And the Eagles, once again with a flat offense, was able to use their offensive and defensive fronts to their advantage and wear down the Falcons and keep themselves in the game. Like Nick Foles wasn't very good; he was better than Matt Ryan, but he was not very good by any by any means. Jay Ajayi was very good in the run game, their offensive line play was terrific, and their defensive line play was terrific and that's why the fa- uh, or that's why the Eagles were able to win this game because they kept fighting on both fronts, and the Falcons had their opportunities and just could not shut the door. So this begs the question, is Matt Ryan, Matty Ice, is he still elite? Or, I mean, was he ever elite? I don't know if Matt Ryan was ever elite. I don't think he was ever in that top five category of quarterbacks. The top five, this is no particular order, would be Brady, Breeze, Rogers, Big Ben, and Russell Wilson, in my opinion. I don't think Matt Ryan ever fit into that into that realm he might have been borderline top 10 in my book but Matt Ryan I don't think he's that good as aside from his MVP season in 2015 or 2016 whichever year it was aside from that MVP year he's only slightly better than Andy Dalton And that's in every category. Passer rating, completion percentage, touchdown to interception ratio, yards per attempt. Like Matt Ryan is only a tick above Andy Dalton in every category. He's slightly better than Andy Dalton, but not even close to guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. And Andy Dalton is, is an okay quarterback. Like He's fine. But you know what the big knock on Andy Dalton is and it's the same knock on Matt Ryan? They can't win when it matters. And I know the Falcons made it to the Super Bowl and I give them all the credit in the world for making it to a Super Bowl, but they had the Patriots beat and they couldn't put it away. Andy Dalton hasn't won a playoff game. He's been good. He's had some good teams. But he can never win when it counts. And that's the same with Matt Ryan. So right now Matt Ryan is to me I would say in the in the 11 to 16 range as far as top quarterbacks in the league go. And maybe next week I will come out with a a uh, list of like ranking all the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. We'll see. But you'll find that Matt Ryan is going to be in that 11 to 16 range. He is not elite. I don't think he ever was elite. And if you take out his one MVP season, he is barely better than Andy Dalton. And that's just period, point blank, plain and simple. All right, and some other holdout news. So we know that Aaron Donald ended his holdout with his new contract. Khalil Mack was traded and got a big deal from the Bears. Earl Thomas has finally ended his holdout with the Seahawks. The Dallas Cowboys upped their trade offer to the Seahawks, offered a second-round pick, which is what the Seahawks wanted, and the Seahawks turned it down. They want more. And that's smart by the Seahawks. The Cowboys waited way too long. During the draft, the Cowboys had the opportunity to trade a second-round pick for Earl Thomas. All they wanted was a second-rounder, and they said no. They didn't want to do it. They offered a third. Seahawks said no. They wanted a second. Jerry waited way too long, then finally offered that second, and it was a no from Seattle. And I'm sure Jerry's got to be fuming over this. But it's what happens. The longer you, you wait, the more leverage the Seahawks get. So now I would expect Jerry Jones in the coming weeks to up his offer for Earl Thomas. I hope he does. Because that's the one thing the Cowboys need is a playmaker on the back half of the defense. I think their defense is going to be top ten in the league this year. But with Earl Thomas, they can be top five. But Jerry waited too long, and so now there's a chance that he may not even get Earl Thomas at all. But he is a free agent at the end of this year, so maybe they'll just go and get him then. We'll see. And now Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was going to report to practice at the beginning of this week. He didn't do so. And now he is not reporting to the team until further notice. He is out for week one versus the Browns. And he is not going to play. I saw reports maybe until November he won't play. And I've been thinking about this. I thought the Steelers were going to be one of the teams to beat in the AFC. I thought they had a tremendous shot to make it to the Super Bowl when I get to my Super Bowl predictions later on in the show. But I thought they had a great shot. With Le'Veon Bell being the best running back in the league, arguably. Antonio Brown, the best receiver in the league. Big Ben, top five quarterback in the league. One of the best offensive lines in the league. And an okay defense. I really like them in the weak AFC. But now without Le'Veon. That team is going to become very pass heavy. James Conner is an okay running back. An okay backup. But. They're not going to be as good I don't think. And. Honestly I think this is actually kind of smart on Le'Veon's part to sit out. The Steelers don't want to pay Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell wants a $15 million per year contract like Gurley got. He wants that kind of money. The Steelers don't want to give him that kind of money. And so this year, I think the plan for the Steelers was to give him a lot of volume, run him into the ground, because they know they weren't going to keep him. And then they let him go to another team. And Le'Veon Bell becomes the next DeMarco Murray. Now if you remember what the Cowboys did with Murray. They ran him into the ground in 2014. He got a rushing title. And they they had a great run in the playoffs up until they got beat by the Packers. And then he left and went to Philly. And DeMarco Murray has really never been the same. That's exactly what would have happened to Le'Veon this year had he, would he be playing this whole season. The Steelers were going to run him into the ground, let him go to another team, and Le'Veon was not going to be as good for the rest of his career. Le'Veon already touched the ball a lot, like 20 more times than any other running back in, in football. He touched the ball over 400 times last year, was arguably going to touch it 500 times this year. And Le'Veon, with his career in mind, and a big payday in mind, I think wants to save his legs for his next contract. So he's not going to come back until, let's just say November when the Steelers are getting ready to make a playoff push and he'll be fresh and he's not going to get that 500 touches, he's going to get around maybe 200 if they make it make a deep run in the playoffs. I think it's I think it's smart on his part, but it also does look bad from a like a, a will to win perspective. I don't think he he care it looks like he's caring more about himself than he does about the team. But I get it because the Steelers essentially just want to get all the value they can out of him without having to pay him. I think the Steelers should have just paid him last year and just got it over with, but this is where we are now. I think this might come back to bite the Steelers a little bit. I think they're still going to win their division. Because they are the class of that division. No team is really going to challenge them, I don't think. But as far as, like, playoff picture, standings, record, it could hurt them. They may not get that first round bye and be, you know, first in the, uh, in the AFC in terms of record. But something I want to do is I want to tell you how each team in the NFL can win the Super Bowl this year. Now, obviously, you're going to laugh at some of these, and I'm even going to laugh at some of these, but, I mean, you never know. Nobody predicted the Eagles were going to win the Super Bowl last year after Carson Wentz got hurt, so you never know. But I'm going to start with the Browns. Their projected Super Bowl odds are less than 0.1%. It's pretty bad. Now, if Cleveland won the Super Bowl, I think media and the sports world would just explode. I don't think we would know how to handle it. But, I mean, if you look at the Browns, they're getting a healthy and improved... They're getting more healthy and improved play at quarterback, hopefully... With Tyrod Taylor. They have Baker Mayfield if Tyrod Taylor were to deteriorate or go down. And with Tyrod Taylor playing quarterback, they're not going to turn the ball over nearly as much. This guy does not know what a turnover is. And in order for the Browns to even really make the playoffs or win their division, they're gonna have to have Pittsburgh and Baltimore really play poorly this season, and I don't see that happening for at least Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh is still good enough without Le'Veon Bell to win that division. But it would take lost seasons from both of those teams, and and they're going to have to have some of those close games go their way. That's the only way they can do it. For the Buffalo Bills, their projected Super Bowl odds are 0.1%. I think the Browns have a better shot than the Bills, but it's whatever. Um, right now, their, their starting quarterback is is Nathan Peterman. Yikes. I don't even know how I can defend this, but I guess the only way... They can return to the playoffs as if the Bills have an effective running game with Deshaun McCoy. And let's say if let's say Josh Allen starts at some point in, in the year, which I think he will, he's going to have to be a superstar. He's going to have to play well and be accurate and prove he was worthy of being traded up for by the Bills. And He's probably gonna to have to throw the ball 30 times a game, too. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Defensively, they're gonna to have to great they're gonna to have to have a good defense, too. You know, they, they picked Tremaine Edmonds in the first round this year. And they actually do have a pretty solid defense. So I think they can be a tough beat with that defense and if they have the running game going. The New York Jets. Uh, The only way I think they're going to be able to drastically improve their odds at winning the Super Bowl is quarterback play. Uh Sam Darnold is going to be the Week one starter. He's going to be the youngest starting quarterback in NFL history. But Darnold is going to have to be outstanding for them to be a terrific football team. I mean, you're basically asking him to play like a pro bowler from the jump. Now, Todd Bowles, I think, is a is a great coach. A lot of people don't like him, but I do. I think he's a good coach, and their defense is young, but I think they can be a really good defense. They've got a they've got a decent secondary, and it's also going to require a a collapse from the Patriots. Like they're going to have to get by their pa- the Patriots in the division. I don't see that happening, but that's the only way it can happen for the Jets to even win the division, make the playoffs, and then for them to win the Super Bowl, Sam Donald has to be extraordinary. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their Super Bowl odds are 0.1%. Uh, they're in a very tough division. It's going to require the, the Panthers, Falcons, and the Saints to all have down years. They're going to have to decline, all three of them. Well, maybe not even all three of them, but at least one of them is going to have to. That division, it seems like every year, has three teams from that division make the playoffs. And the Buccaneers are going to have to be one of those three teams to, in order for them to make the playoffs. Now, it, Jameis Winston is suspended for the first three games of the season, so thats it seems foolish to pit, to pick them to win the Super Bowl. But he is still a very solid quarterback and their defense is much improved over the offseason. They drafted Vita Vea a defensive tackle. They have Jared McCoy alongside of him. They traded for Jason Pierre-Paul one of the best pass rushers in the game. And they had one of the worst kicking games last season when they had Nick Folk uh, they had Roberto Aguayo and they had Patrick Murray, and they were all awful. They picked up Chandler Catanzaro this year. He is pretty solid, so if he can make some field goals, they have a shot. The Arizona Cardinals, their odds are 0.1%. The Cardinals are going to really need great quarterback play like the Jets to make the playoffs. Right now, Sam Bradford is their starting quarterback. I don't see them making it very far with Sam Bradford because Sam Bradford is going to get hurt within the first couple weeks of the year. Josh Rosen is is going to have to be incredible. Larry Fitzgerald is going to have to stay consistent. David Johnson is going to have to stay healthy. And their defense has to play well. And this is sort of similar to the situation with the Buccaneers. like Their odds... It's less about their talent and more about their division. Like, that division could easily have three playoff contenders as well. The Seahawks are always tough. The Rams are loaded. And the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo are coming. They're going to have to be up there in their division two to make the playoffs. So it's going to take one of those three teams to struggle mightily for them to make the playoffs. And and banking on the Rams to fall apart or or the the Seahawks to self combust—it's just not reasonable. And I think it's for the, for all of those things to occur, it's just very unlikely. Miami Dolphins. Projected Super Bowl odds, 0.2%. Um, Ryan Tannehill's returning this year. It's going to be an upgrade at quarterback from Jay Cutler, but they shipped off Jarvis Landry, their best pass catcher. And defensively, they kind of have a weak secondary. But they're going to have to have a good running game with Ken- Kenyon Drake. And you're going to have to have... Uh, excellent play in the front seven without Nadal and Sue. Now, they did draft Minka Fitzpatrick, so the back end of the secondary is going to be good with Rashad Jones and Minka. The back end is going to be good, but I'm concerned about their corners. And once again, they're going to need the Patriots to slip in that division. And for to bank on Tannehill playing great, having a good running game, And having a solid secondary, along with the Patriots falling off a cliff, not reasonable, but you never know. The New York Giants' odds are at .3. Honestly, I would put this a little higher. But they're going to get Odell Beckham Jr. back, and they have Saquon Barkley. Their offense is probably going to be the most improved offense in football. And defensively, Damon Harrison on that defensive line and Landon Collins at safety, they are terrific players. They improve their offensive line. So if they can get good, consistent offensive line play and Evan Ingram and Odell Beckham can stay healthy and Saquon can go off, then I think they could actually win their division. There there is a chance for them to win their division with that offense and be a Super Bowl contender. The Washington Redskins projected Super Bowl odds are 0.3%. And people might be sleeping on the Redskins. People forget that Alex Smith wins almost everywhere he goes. And I think they they upgraded a quarterback by get, by getting rid of Kirk Cousins and signing Alex Smith or trading for Alex Smith sorry and i think the NFC East it's always a tough competition you never have back-to-back division winners there hasn't been back-to-back division winners in over 15 years and Alex Smith might be the second best quarterback in the division behind Carson Wentz Alex Smith is always guaranteed to get you some wins. He's won everywhere he's went, San Francisco and in Kansas City. And with Carson Wentz missing the first part of this season and Eli figuring things out with his new offense and Dak coming off a, a struggling second year, uh, the, the, the Redskins might sneak up on some people. The Denver Broncos projected Super Bowl odds 0.4%. Listen, they, they don't have a good offensive line, but it looks like they may have a starting quarterback and a decent one for the next couple of years. Case Keenum, I think, is more than just a system quarterback. I think he's more than just a product of their environment. And like I've said before, everyone is a product of their environment. I don't care what you say. But Nick Chubb and Vaughn Miller on that defense, I think, is going to be unmatched by anybody in the league. They're up there with Joey Bussa and Melvin Ingram. Those, that Okay, so they're not going to be unmatched, but they're like right there with those two. And they're playing in an incredibly tough division, so you're going to have to rely on the Chargers being mediocre like they typically are and the Raiders, I think, are going to be a dumpster fire, so they're going to be at the bottom, it's very possible that the Broncos can win their division. I did say they were going to be around 7-9, 8-8, eight eight, but they could easily be a 10-6 and six team and win their division. And if, as long as Case Keenum plays well and shows he was worth that money and their defense lives up to their ex- expectations and they and Royce Freeman at running back can somehow manage to run behind that offensive line. They can make some noise in the AFC. Chicago Bears. Projected Super Bowl odds 0.5%. Now, I told you guys last episode that the Bears are going to be one of the top teams in the NFC in the next couple of years. They have so much talent on offense and defense, and defensively, they drafted Roquan Smith, and they added Khalil Mack. What's not to like about their defense? They're extremely young, but extremely talented, and they're going to cause a lot of problems in their division, possibly even this year. Um, And offensively, with Jordan Howard behind that offensive line, Mitch Trubisky with Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel, and Trey Burton, man, they are really good. They can be really good. And Matt Nagy is going to have to be an excellent play caller and an excellent coach for that team in order for them to win their division and make the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals, the projected Super Bowl odds are 0.5%. I think the Bengals have a shot to be pretty decent this year. And I know they haven't been great in the playoffs, but they have so much talent. Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap on on defense. Also with Carl Lawson on the defensive line. A.J. Green is one of the top five receivers in the league. And John Ross, if he can be healthy, can be a breakout star this year. And they really upgraded their offensive line. So if they can just have some good offensive line play and solid defensive line play, and Andy Dalton can win the big one in the playoffs, I think they have a chance to win the Super Bowl. The Oakland Raiders, 0.5% Super Bowl odds. That's obviously supposed to be lower. Uh, But defensively, they're awful. Offensively, if Amari Cooper and Derek Carr can be on the same page and Amari Cooper can bounce back, they can have a great offense. They have a great offensive line. Derek Carr is a special talent. Mark Cooper is one of the top young receivers in football. And they have an okay running game with Marshawn Lynch. They can, have, they can be a great offense. And if their defense can just somehow manage to be bend, don't break, then they have a smidgen of a chance. But the only way the, the Raiders are going to win games is by outscoring The other team. They can't rely on their defense. They're just going to have to rely on Derek Carr and his arm. And they're going to have to rely on their division being weak as well. The Detroit Lions. Odds, 0.6%. Now, they also are one of these teams that are in a tough division, the NFC North. The Bears are lurking. The Vikings are really good. and. The Packers have Aaron Rodgers back. So it's gonna you're gonna have to rely on Aaron Rodgers being not Aaron Rodgers. The Vikings are gonna have to take a step back. I think the key for the Lions is finding a running game. Matt Stafford has not been able to find a running game his whole career. And they signed LeGarrette Blunt and drafted Carry on Johnson. And they have Amir Abdullah who can who they can uses their pass catching back. I think they can have a balanced offense this year. That's what they're going to have to have. And defensively, with Darius Slay, they're going to have to force turnovers. And they might be able to do that with um, their new coach taking over Matt Patricia. Next up, the Adel Seahawks projected Super Bowl odds 0.7%. Now, this is going to be reliant totally on Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is going to have to keep himself together behind that awful offensive line. They have to somehow find a running game, and if they can do that with Rashad Penny, the guy they drafted in the first round, kind of reached on a little bit, but if they can do that with him, and if him and Doug Baldwin can just be absolutely Incredible this year. And their defense can find a way to be decent without Richard Sherman, without Cam Chancellor, and without Michael Bennett. I mean, it's really going to be the the Griffin brothers, Shaquille and Shaquem, Earl Thomas. Those guys are going to have to be otherworldly on defense. They're going to have to be a bend-don't-break. And be very tough and physical. And offensively, Russell Wilson is going to have to play like an MVP, which he can do. It's just whether or not that offensive line can hold him up. Next, the Indianapolis Colts Super Bowl odds 0.7%. These odds are really low, but I guess there are 32 teams. Um, the biggest thing for the Colts is that Andrew Luck is back, and he is presumed to be healthy. So he's Been gone for a whole year after shoulder surgery. I obviously am concerned, as are a lot of people, about whether or not he can play, how well he can play from the outset. But they improved their offensive line, which is huge for Luck because he has been the most sacked quarterback in the NFL over the past few years. They need to find a running game. Frank Gore is gone, so that consistency is out the door. So if Marlon Mack can be the guy and Luck can return to an MVP caliber level, then there's no reason why he can't be in the AFC Championship like he was a couple years ago against the Patriots. The San Francisco 49ers projected Super Bowl odds 1.3%. That's the biggest jump we've had so far. So we're finally over the 1% barrier. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo is undefeated as a starting quarterback. 2-0 in New England and 5-0 as a starter in San Francisco. So there's, there is reason to believe that Garoppolo can go 16-0 this regular season if he stays healthy. Him and Kyle Shanahan are incredible. They are a great duo. Now they did lose Jarek McKinnon, and I think Jarek McKinnon was going to be an extremely valuable piece to that offense this season. But they do have Alfred Morris and Matt Breida in the backfield. So it's going to make up for some of that production. And then defensively, they added Richard Sherman. And DeForest Buckner is one of the best young defensive tackles in the NFL. If he can make life easier for that secondary with Richard Sherman, and Jimmy Garoppolo can play like a superstar that we all believe he is, then I don't think there's any reason why the 49ers can't make the playoffs and possibly make it to the Super Bowl. The Dallas Cowboys projected Super Bowl odds 1.7%. I thought that was I think that's kind of low. But I think the big thing for them is having Zeke Elliott back, no suspension, having great offensive line play, and having a terrific defense. I think their defense is very underrated by a lot of people. I think they're going to have a top 10 defense this year. That's going to be the backbone of that team. And if Zeke Elliott can be Zeke Elliott behind that offensive line, I think the Cowboys have a chance to win in any game they play. Now, Travis Frederick is out indefinitely right now. He is suffering from Gullion-Barr syndrome. There's no timetable for the return. It is a autoimmune disease. So basically you get stingers in your hands and feet and other parts of your body and it's a very serious condition. People have actually died from this condition. So from a forget football, I just hope the man is okay and he recovers from it. That's first and foremost. And if he were to return, that would be a huge boost for the Cowboys. And they're going to have to find a receiver. If their de- their defense I think is going to be good if they can find a receiver, a consistent passing game, the Cowboys always have a chance the Tennessee Titans projected odds 1.7 percent this is kind of a surprise to me but Marcus Mariota took a step back last season I think he's going to have to take a huge step up this season for them to be a good team they're gonna have to be healthy on the offensive line Jack Conklin their their star right tackle is returning from a torn ACL they added Deion Lewis, who's going to be great in the passing game, and and he's going to help out Marriott a lot. And defensively, they drafted Harold Landry. They added Malcolm Butler. Their defense is going to be much improved. And with Corey Davis, Richard Matthews, and Delaney Walker, they could actually have a very good offense. And Derek Henry, Henry at the running back position. They could actually be a very serious contender if they stay healthy. They are in arguably one of the toughest divisions of football as well. Now the Houston Texans projected Super Bowl odds 1.8%. Now Deshaun Watson is coming back off of his torn ACL. JJ Watt is coming back. Whitney Merciless is coming back. Jadeveon Clowney is healthy. Their defense could be one of the best defenses in football. When Merciless, Clowney, and Watt are all healthy and all playing at the same time. And Deshaun Watson was playing at an MVP level through seven games before he got injured. And if Will Fuller can stay healthy, D-hop, and he can manage to stand up behind that offensive line, which might be the worst in football, they can be a very dangerous team. They are just in a really tough division with the Colts and the Jaguars and the Titans. And like I said, their only concern is the offensive line. For me, that's my only concern. But if anyone can handle not having a good offensive line, it's a guy like Deshaun Watson. The Carolina Panthers, next. Super Bowl odds 2.1%. So we're finally in the 2% range. They did lose their star offensive lineman, Andrew Norwell, to the Jags. And their right tackle, Daryl Williams, suffered a, a serious knee injury in training camp. But Christian McCaffrey, I think, is going to be the key for them this year on offense. Christian McCaffrey is going to have an, a much increased workload, workload with Jonathan Stewart out. And Cam Newton is going to have to be much more consistent this year. And I think he's going to get that consistency with Norv Turner at offensive coordinator. And defensively, they've always had a solid defense with Luke Kuechly. Their front seven is incredible. And as long as they can stay healthy on offense, Greg Olson can stay healthy, and McCaffrey can handle his workload, I think they're going to be good. And once again, they're in a tough division. Tough division, but three teams can make it to the playoffs in that division. The Jacksonville Jaguars projected Super Bowl odds 3.1%, so we're in the three range now. I mean, let's be honest here. The Jags snuck up on everybody last year. They have the best defense in football, and that's going to keep them in any game. They have one of the best running attacks in football with Leonard Fournette and that offensive line. And Blake Bortles can hold his own at quarterback. They don't need to ask very much of him. And remember, this team was up on the Patriots in the the AFC Championship. They were up 10 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, what else can you ask for? Tom Brady is just too good. And they've made improvements on their offensive line and their defense, which really didn't think they could be any better, but they made them better. And once again, they're in a tough division, but if they can figure it out, win their division games, They can be back in that AFC Championship conversation and maybe even in the Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl odds 3.2%. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs might have the best offense in football on paper. Patty Mahomes is a gunslinger. Travis Kelsey is the second-best tight end in football behind Gronk. Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins on the outside. Kareem Hunt is the reigning, leading rusher in the NFL, the the reigning rushing champ. Their offense is very high-powered. It's just a matter of their defense, whether or not they can stay healthy, and if they can stop the opposing offense. I think it's going to be tough for them to do, but with that offense, I think they can beat any team. The Baltimore Ravens, their projected Super Bowl odds are 3.5%. Now, the last few years, the Ravens have been very mediocre, and it's been very hard to bet on them, but I think they're going to be a better team this year simply because Lamar Jackson is going to push Joe Flacco to be better. The media is going to push Lamar Jackson to start all year. It's going to put a ton of pressure on Flacco, and Flacco always flourishes when he's under pressure. And whenever you have a Joe Flacco in the playoffs, he does not lose. The Los Angeles Chargers... This is a team I'm very high on, 3.7% for the Chargers. That is their Super Bowl odds. Listen, man, I think they have one of the best rosters in the NFL. Top four roster, top five. Phillip Rivers, when he's hot, he he is unstoppable. Keenan, Keenan Allen, as long as he can stay healthy, is one of the elite receivers in the NFL. Melvin Gordon is very underrated. Their offensive line has been revamped and it's looking good. And if, and defensively, they've got the best pass rush combo in the NFL and a very solid secondary. It's just a matter of if they can find a kicker. They signed Caleb Sturgis in free agency. If they can just find a consistent kicking game, they can win the AFC. That's just all they need is a kicker. Now we're making a big jump in the odds. The Atlanta Falcons, their odds are 6.2%. The Falcons also have a great uh, a great roster defensively, with Deion Jones playing linebacker, and their their front four. It's really good. They struggled against the Eagles. But they're going to be better by the end of the year. Matt Ryan, if he can play at an MVP caliber level, their offense is unstoppable when he does. Julio Jones is a top three receiver in the NFL. Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, that might be the best duo of running backs in the NFL. They have a very solid offensive line. And as long as Steve Sarkeesian can make the right play calls in the red zone, and if they can figure that out, they can be back in the Super Bowl. And they are a team that I think has a great shot. The New Orleans Saints, 6.5%. Now, I think the Saints are going to win their division this year. 12-4 and 4 is what I put them at. They are one miracle away from making the Super Bowl last year. Case Keenum threw a Hail Mary prayer, and Diggs caught it and ran away from the defense. That play was a fluke play and kept Drew Brees from another Super Bowl. And as long as nothing like that happens, they've got a great offense. They drafted Marcus Davenport, who's going to improve their pass rush. Alvin Kamara is going to have an excellent second year Michael Thomas is one of the elite receivers in football. And as long as they can outlast the Panthers and the Falcons, they're going to be good. The Green Bay Packers, Super Bowl odds 6.6%. Now, obviously, the biggest thing for them, Aaron Rodgers is back. And a healthy Aaron Rodgers I think, guarantees 10 wins for the Packers. may not guarantee the division, but it's going to guarantee the playoffs. And if, if you get Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs, he's going to play great. And they do have a young defense, especially in the secondary. But if that defense... Can just hold its own and play well with Jared, Alexander, and Josh Jackson on the outside playing corner. And offensively, the connection between Rodgers and Jimmy Graham can be outstanding. There's no reason to believe the best quarterback in football, arguably, can't make it back to the Super Bowl. The Minnesota Vikings, their Super Bowl odds are 6.9%. Now, Kirk Cousins, I don't know if he is an upgrade over Case Keenum or not. I think they're very much on an even even playing field. But with the weapons Kirk Cousins has on offense with Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, Stephon Diggs, that offensive line, Dalvin Cook at running back, And that defense, which is top two in the league. That team is just loaded. I think it's the second best roster in the NFL. And a team that is as talented as that. It's hard to believe they won't be a playoff team. The Rams. 7.7% Super Bowl odds. Now, the Rams, I think they have the best roster in football. They added Marcus Peters and Aqib Talib, and Ndamukong Sue on defense. Those are three players who are near the top of the league in what they do. Offensively, they added Brandon Cooks, and their offensive line is really good. And Todd Gurley is one of the best running backs in football. They don't have a weakness and any team that don't has a week that doesn't have a weakness is going to be in the thick of things come February. The Philadelphia Eagles, their Super Bowl odds are at 11.1, so a massive jump from 7.7 to 11.1. And the defending champs I don't think they're going to repeat. It's very hard to repeat. It hasn't been done since the Patriots in 04. But with Carson Wentz back, if he can play at an MVP caliber caliber level like he did before he got hurt. If he can do that when he comes back. And as long as their offensive and defensive fronts can be dominant, they're going to be a playoff team. I don't think they're winning their division because like I said, no team in the NFC East, has won back-to-back division titles in 15 years. I just don't see it happening. But I still think they're a very good team. They're my third best roster in the NFL. And it really relies on Carson Wentz playing well and their fronts on offense and defense being dominant. The Pittsburgh Steelers have odds of 11.6%. Now, obviously, I'm sure this goes down without Le'Veon Bell. But, listen, that offense with the killer bees in the lineup, gosh, it's a nightmare because you you literally don't know what to do as a defense. Le'Veon Bell can split you out wide. He can run between the tackles. He's got one of the most unique running styles the league has ever seen. And Antonio Brown is an all-time receiver. Now. Shazier's absence in the middle of that defense is going to play a huge role for them. But if they can have an, an improved secondary, if they can have improved play in their secondary, I think they'll be fine. They added Morgan Burnett. They, they drafted Terrell Edmonds. And if TJ Watt can play well in his second year, the Steelers have a great shot to make it to the AFC Championship. and represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. And then, finally, the New England Patriots, their Super Bowl odds are 16.4%, the largest of all the teams, obviously. This is not very surprising, because the Patriots are the most well-run team in football. They are usually the best team in football every year, even if their record doesn't show it. Now, this year, I don't think they're making it back to the Super Bowl. They're without Julian Edelman for the first four games. They don't really have a receiver to throw to besides Chris Hogan and, and Gronk at tight end. Uh, they lost Deion Lewis at running back. Their offensive line is a mess. Isaiah, Isaiah wins out for the year. They lost Nate Solder. Uh, and defensively, They're just. They're a bend don't break. They're good situationally. That's about it. Dante Hightower is going to have to play well when he comes back from injury. They added Danny Shelton, who is a solid defensive tackle. And they're going to benefit from signing Adrian Cla- Claiborne. He is an older pass rusher, but he's still efficient. And as long as. Brady stays healthy at 41 years of age. Brady, he is getting older. He is getting up there. I don't foresee a drop-off, but you're always one hit away in the NFL. No matter your age, no matter your fitness level, you're one hit away in the NFL from having your career being over. And that cause for concern obviously goes way, way, way up. When you have a 41 year old quarterback. All right. I know that was kind of long, but we got through it. And now I'm going to do the week one predictions for uh, the NFL. I'm already 0 1. I was wrong about the Eagles and Falcons game. I thought the Falcons would win that easily, and I was clearly wrong. All right, let's start Colts versus the Bengals. I think this is going to be a close game, but I do like the Bengals in this one. I don't think Andrew Luck is going to be completely back for at least a few weeks. The Ravens versus the Bills. I like the Ravens in this one. They've got a much better offense, a much better—I wouldn't say much better defense, but they've got a better defense, and it's really all about quarterback play. Joe Flacco is leaps and bounds ahead of Nathan Peterman, who's going to be starting for the Bills this Sunday. My only word to describe that—yikes. That's going to be a terrible game for the Bills, and they're going to start the season off on a very poor note. The Titans versus the Dolphins. I like the Titans in this game. They're they're healthy, um, both offensively and defensively. And they've improved on the defensive end. They, they added Malcolm Butler. And that's going to be huge. Their secondary is going to play a huge role in this game because the Dolphins offense don't really have great receivers on the outside. Steelers versus the Browns. Now I think this one is very interesting. Steelers are without Le'Veon Bell for this game. And I actually think this helps the Browns in a huge way because they can really key in on the passing game. I'm going to pick the Browns in an upset. The Vikings versus the 49ers. I really like the Vikings in this one. They've got the better roster, plain and simple. Jags versus the Giants. The big matchup in this one is Odell versus Jalen Ramsey. And another huge factor is going to be whether or not Saquon Barkley can be effective. I think the Jags defense is going to be pro- is going to prove to be too much. And offensively, the Jags are going to be able to run the ball well. Jags are going to win this one. Tampa Bay Bucks versus the New Orleans Saints. Jameis isn't playing. Saints have one of the best rosters in the league. Drew Brees is really, really good. Give me the Saints. Texans versus the Patriots. Patriots always start the season off slow. The month of September is the is the month is the only month in the NFL season where you have a great shot to knock off the Patriots. If you're going to get the Patriots it's it's in September. So give me the Texans with Deshaun Watson returning. Chiefs versus Chargers. I think it's going to take a few games for Pat Mahomes to figure it out on offense. He may turn the ball over a little bit. Joey Bosa is out for this game. So that is one big note. But they still have Melvin Ingram, so I think they'll be fine defensively. Give me the Chargers in this game. The Redskins versus the Cardinals. Now this one actually could be a close game. Sam Bradford, when he's healthy, is is good. David Johnson is back. Defensively, They're without their ball hawk Tyron Matthew, so I don't know what they're going to be like. But if David Johnson can be the superstar he is, they have a shot. And as far as the Redskins go, Alex Smith is always really efficient and gets on a real hot streak when he starts the season. And because of that, I'm going to go with the Redskins in this game. And they also have Chris Thompson returning, which I think is huge as an offensive option for them. Seahawks versus Broncos. This is going to be in Denver, and that's huge actually for the Broncos. The Broncos over the last couple of seasons have actually started out the season relatively hot. They they started, I think 2 or 3 and 0 last year and destroyed the Cowboys in week 2. So I really think that the Broncos have a, a shot to upset the Seahawks in this game. Cowboys versus Panthers, America's game of the week. I like the Cowboys in this one. They have a better defense, in my opinion. And offensively, I think Dak is gonna get back on track. Their offensive line outside of Travis Frederick, I think is going to be it's gonna be good. As long as they have their tackles healthy, they're fine. And if Zeke Elliott can be Zeke Elliott, I think they're going to win this game. So give me the Cowboys. The Bears versus the Packers. This is a very interesting one. Khalil Mack is part of the Bears, but he's likely going to be on a pitch count since he's only been with the Bears For about a week. It's going to be very hard for him to understand a playbook in its entirety in a week. So he's going to be out there for limited snaps. And in Green Bay versus the Bears, Aaron Rodgers has been excellent. So give me the Packers. The Jets versus the Lions. Sam Darnold is going to start. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a rough start. For Sam Darnold, it's going to take him a while. He's the youngest quarterback in the NFL to start in history. And there's a reason why there hasn't been a quarterback this young in a while. Because they're usually not that good to start. So I'll take the Lions. The Lions have a better roster, a better offense, and it looks like they could be a lot more balanced this year. And finally... The Rams versus the Raiders. This is an easy one. Give me the Rams. They're loaded offensively, defensively. The only way the Raiders are going to be able to compete is with their offense, and the Rams defense is too good for them to even score, I think. I think the Rams are going to dominate this game. It's going to be a fireworks show for the Rams, and the Raiders, they're just going to be completely overmatched. Alright, so since I have completed all of my record predictions, I want to close the show with this. So I've done all the record predictions, I've told you who's going to win each division, so I'm just going to go over it real quick, and then I will also tell you who my wild card Spots are going to be filled by. And then my Super Bowl prediction. So the division winners for the NFC. I have the Vikings in the NFC North, the Saints in the NFC South, the Cowboys in the NFC East, and the Rams in the NFC West. Those are going to be your division winners. And then the wild card. I really like the Packers in the NFC North with Aaron Rodgers back. And I really like the Eagles behind the Cowboys. For the AFC, division winners are going to be the Steelers in the AFC North, the Texans in the AFC South, with Deshaun Watson returning, the Patriots in the AFC East in a very weak division, and then the AFC West, the Los Angeles Chargers, are going to be red hot this year. Those are the division winners, and the wildcard spots are going to be filled by two teams from the AFC South, the Colts, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And my Super Bowl prediction is going to be the Saints versus the Chargers. And I really like the Saints to win it all this year. All right, guys. Well, that's my show for this week. Um uh, And I'm really excited, Uh, this is kind of just completely off topic from sports, but the new Spider-Man game came out for PS4. This is not an advertisement in any way, I'm not promoting it or or anything like that, but I watched some gameplay. And gosh, it just looks so good, so I'm really excited to get that game. Just felt the need to share that with you guys. So, really check out that Spider-Man game, because I think it's going to be great. Um... But thank you for listening to this week's show, guys. Uh, it was a great show. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at the Will Ford Show. Make sure you rate and review the show on iTunes, like and comment on Soundcloud. Soundcloud, excuse me. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. It's WFS.